Welcome to the Truth Lover video podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. I'm your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, workshop and retreat leader, entrepreneur and founder of Love and Truth Party. You can find out more about me at willpie.com. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating health, healing, and happiness. Find us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unity of consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as New Earth Ninjas, our playful avatar. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these, and within the happiness hacks, and other free resources found on loveandtruthparty.org. Our online courses, depression diagnosis, what you need to know and how to create happiness, and cancer diagnosis, what you need to know and how to create health, are in production, whilst our monthly meditation and community hangout is at 7 a.m. Melbourne time, first Monday of every month. All details on the website, loveandtruthparty.org. Today on The Truth Lover, we're fortunate and excited to be joined by Rak Razam. Rak Razam is the world's leading experiential journalist, writing about and helping shape the emergence of a new cultural paradigm in the 21st century. A writer, film producer, and culture maker, he bridges the worlds of shamanism, consciousness, and popular culture. He is currently producer and host of an episodic TV show called Shamans of the Global Village. Highly recommend you check that out. A prolific media maker and networker, he hosts a popular podcast himself, In a Perfect World, and he's author of the critically acclaimed book, Aya Awakenings, A Shamanic Odyssey, and the companion volume of interviews, The Ayahuasca Sessions. He's a frequent lecturer on ayahuasca and the shamanic revival sweeping the West. He wrote, produced, and co-directed the groundbreaking visionary documentary, Aya Awakenings, and leads ayahuasca retreats in Peru. You can find out more about Rack on www.rackrazam, that's R-A-K-R-A-Z-A-M dot com. Rack, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for taking the time to join us on The Truth Lover. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Will. Thank you for inviting me. A great joy. I saw you speak recently at the first ever Bufo Ulvarius. Uh, so along with all that remarkable stuff that you've been up to, you uh, co-created the world's first ever symposium on the Bufo Ulvarius or 5-Meo DMT in Mexico recently. And I saw you speak there and was really moved by your presentation about the great web of life. And we sort of framed our conversation today around uh, the new paradigm, personal awakening, and the great web of the great web of life i know this has been a powerful theme for you like finding our place in the great web of life as human beings can you speak a bit more as to what that means for you like the, the web of life i i like this conversation i like it because it's broad and it's um encompassing so i mean there's in as you read out in my bio i've been involved in um the shamanic world and the entheogenic world for about 12 or 13 years now. Um, and then the psychedelic community before that for quite a while as well. 
And these uh, consciousness movements are something which, in Western culture at least, is, I think, a natural repercussion of people wanting to reconnect, to discover their own capacity, their own innate spirituality. And of course, spirituality is its own path. It doesn't need an entheogen to reveal that. But here's the rub, right? We have become so distant from Mother Gaia, from the planet, from the web of life, that we no longer see ourselves really as an integral part of her. We see ourselves culturally, at least in the West, as something that is a, an organism inheriting the Judeo-Christianic um, sort of um, permission to be the... Um, not just caretakers anymore, but to be the dominant species who can take from the web, who can control and have dominion over all the species and over the earth itself. That's a form of delusion and it's a form of separation. And I think this is at the core of Western culture's uh, discontent is that, you know, we're seeing an enormous amount of ecological issues in the unsustainability we're putting on the planet and of the driving isms of our culture, of capitalism, of um, consumerism, of all these things which are um, taking from the planet's resources to feed us, but it's not just feeding us on a, on a material level. I mean, a lot of it is either distraction or... Um, you know, keeping us in some battery farm of consciousness, which is uh, completely keeping people subservient, you know, in their, in their political, cultural um, environments. Um, and it's this, it's this subdivision, which is like, it comes back to the root cause of who are we? Why are we here? And what, what are we doing with this experience of being human? And how do we, why do we see ourselves as separate from nature when Mother Nature as an organism has created and birthed this incredible womb world to host life itself, you know? And in all the species of life, you know, they're all playing a part. There's the Darwinian sort of um, competition, but there's also this interspecies symbiosis and cooperation except pretty much when it comes to humans. We've fallen out of the web of life. We've fallen out of the groove of belonging and understanding. And we're running from our ego selves and that's driving the whole thing. And it's, it's draining the planet and it's draining us and it's unsustainable. And so these modalities and these technologies of the sacred, the plant entheogens, and in Greek, the word entheogen means to um, reveal or invoke the divine within, they help us to remember who and what we really are. But you can, there are many pathways to this central source. Uh, but I think one of the, the chief conceits of the ego in Western culture is we have to do it alone because we are alone and we're the dominant species and plants don't talk. You know, it's like other species don't have feelings or emotions or connections to, you know, source or the web of life, or we don't understand what the, the great uh, mother matrix most mysterious is doing with us, her children. We've, we've fallen out of that relationship. And so I think that one of the great potentials with a well-guided entheogenic session uh, whether that's ayahuasca or San Pedro or the buffo various toad uh, or the morning glory seeds or the acacias in Australia, all around the planet, uh, the earth secretes these substances, which by no coincidence directly um, 
interact with the, the locks in our brain, the neurochemistry of our brain, and they open us up to this spectrum of consciousness, which is the energetic ecology of the planet as she continues into, into unseen realms, um, or connecting us empathically back to feeling her in, uh, in the, the physical realms. And I feel that there's a, a deep um, process underway where we're relearning and remembering what we've forgotten. That's beautiful. I love so much of that. The framing of uh, who are we, why are we here, and how are we making use of this being human, this life being human. And I love the phrase they use, uh, mother, mysterious mother matrix. I think it's from James Joyce. It's a little phrase, mother matrix most mysterious. And the acronym is MMM, which is kind of cool as well, which is uh, a big part of... uh, many people's experience of many of these entheogens that you're speaking of. So what I'm hearing is, as you say, no coincidence that this um, secretion of consciousness or the secretion quite amusingly, perhaps one could say, coming from uh, the, the toad, coming from this coinciding of two plants in the Amazon, coming from this root in Africa. Many of these entheogens and psychedelics have sources that, um, in and the, the fact that we were able to discover this, that this was able to come into our human consciousness, seems significant in itself. And, and, and no coincidence, I hear you say. Can you speak more to that? Is your sense that this is consciousness uh, facilitating its own awakening or, or Mother Gaia facilitating humans to remember our place in the web of life? Well, here's the thing. And so, you know, as we mentioned at the start in my bio, I've been involved in ayahuasca for 12 or 13 years, and that's led me on to other entheogens and to other modalities. Indigenous people around the world see themselves as caretakers, both of the land and of their spiritual nature and of plants like this, plants and substances, which um, in the West we would call the uh, caretakers of these modalities shamans. And that, that term was you know, appropriated and applied from Siberian shamanism, working with Amanita Muscaria and applied uh, in the 40s and 50s uh, by Mercy Eliad in his book, Shamanism, to all Indigenous cultures. But essentially, there are medicine men and women whose purpose is to work with the earth and to understand the spiritual nature of our journey here and to work on behalf of their tribe you know, to mediate health and well-being and, and, and politics as well, because it's all the emanation of this central energy and how we get along in cohesion and cooperation together. Um, so this led me basically through my work with ayahuasca to looking at the global scene and to looking at the different uh, sacraments that are around the earth, which alter our consciousness. Now, you know, there's been a lot of tests uh, being done in the last decade, and these substances have been studied since the 50s, at least, with psilocybin, the magic mushrooms, um, and other substances. And we understand now with modern science that uh, essentially these substances are reducing or switching off a regional cluster of the brain called the default mode network. They've done this with EEG studies and they've done it with, uh, with legally with LSD, which is only one molecule different from the LSA of the morning glory seeds, the liliquai of Mesoamerican people, by the way. Uh, they've done it with the psilocybin mushrooms and they've done it with ayahuasca. And essentially, they, they studied this in the 60s with LSD as well. They realized that uh, the chemical of LSD, for instance, is metabolized by the body 
body in about 19 minutes. That's completely gone. But the psychic effect wasn't coming on for most people before about half an hour. So with these MRI studies, what they proved essentially is what the, uh, the English philosopher and um, psychedelic uh, commentator Aldous Huxley was um, positing in the, in the 20th century was that the, the brain is essentially uh, not just a, um, a emanator of consciousness, but a receiver of consciousness, that we're receiving a broadcast signal which is being broadcast all around. And we know this because with these EEG uh, studies, when the default net network goes down, there's still a sense of consciousness having this altered experience, but it's actually not the chemical that's doing it. It's actually switching off these regions of the brain that are stopping us from having a uh, more shamanic approach to reality all the time. They're filtering down our consciousness for baseline reality. Now, this brings up a lot of interesting things, a lot of interesting synergies between the indigenous perspective and the modern Western perspective. So all over the planet, the, there are substances which affect, con and in fact, everything affects consciousness. Food affects consciousness, right? But there are specific substances, these psychoactives, which affect consciousness in a way which are opening us up to the full spectrum of consciousness, which science has now revealed. It's not just the neurochemical catalyst. It's that we're plugging into what's there. So all through history, there's been people who are more sensitive, before the 20th century, before we had electromagnetic frequencies blanketing the atmosphere and our environments, before processed foods which started to pollute our body systems, before all these impediments and these filters which are aggregating in our energetic and physical bodies, there is a whole body of evidence that people were more attuned to these realms and these potentials, not just in indigenous cultures but in the West. There's a, a famous book by um, William Morris Buck, who is one of the founders of modern psychotherapy. In 1900, he wrote a book called Cosmic Consciousness, and he was mapping the great um, sages and saints and mystics throughout uh, his story who made it into the history books. People like uh, Jesus and Buddha and William Blake and, you know, many different saints. And mapping the similarities that they were all experiencing a certain sense of elevated connection, essentially the source consciousness within or what he called cosmic consciousness. So these studies and the relationship with indigenous people in um, these psychoactives, one term that's been given to them is uh, exopheromones. This was by people in the, the 80s, 70s and 60s, going back to Terence McKenna, Bear Owsley and Jared Hurd, one of the, the philosopher poets of the 60s, who had this idea that these substances, these sacred medicines of these indigenous cultures, who see them as medicines, definitely not as drugs, they don't have the Western approach to them. These medicines were something that are secreted by the planet herself. And the planet does not make mistakes. She has a meta plan, you know. McKenna had this phrase, plan, plant, planet, that it's all connected even the, in the etymology of the words. And that essentially they potentially act as interspecies mediators or communicators of consciousness. So we know through um, biological studies that it's not just Darwinian competition, as I said before, it's, it's, there's, there's a, a meta level up from the competition level where energy is being exchanged through the web of life from one species to another. They're eating and being, being eaten. And certain bioregions and certain areas have a certain capacity for life forms. And then those life forms either boom or bust or they feed into other life forms and it distributes. It's one whole macro 
mother matrix, most mysterious meta organism, and it has birthed us, right? So these psychoactive substances are mediating and they're transmitting information along species lines. And basically, you know, we, um, indigenous cultures have remained in a, in a state of cooperation, of sustainability, of um, spiritual connection, both to the planet and to the larger great spirit of life that is animating through the planet in many cases mediated through their relationships with the plants. So, you know, I really love this conversation because it's not focusing on any one plant medicine or on any one um, avenue of these very potent substances which are being studied by science again in the West now and are being medicalized and brought back into the fold. And there's many studies on the um, efficacy of them as um, healing modalities for PTSD and stress and even cancer and other symptoms. But ultimately underneath that medical model, it is seeming to come a bit more full circle and in um, resonance with the indigenous understanding that we are one strand in the web of life and we give and give back and we are part of the in-breath and the out-breath, but we have forgotten that relationship. So these substances, when used in the correct way with you know, the correct facilitation and a, a ritual ceremony approach, which is another of the great gifts of indigenous cultures have given us in this modern generation or two of the Western shamanic um, resurgence is that we can reconnect. We can heal the division, which has been that original separation between us and nature. And that's a you know, profundity beyond words. So you've put it rather sweetly into them, the reconnecting, the realizing, the informing the human consciousness of our oneness with Mother Earth in the very languaging, of course, in our uh, common speech on in the media and some we talk about the environment as if the environment were a thing out there separate from us rather than our being intrinsic to it and it occurring within us. So I love this vision and I really appreciated the way you evoked this sense of the default mode network or the ego being deactivated and in that process an activation of a latent capacity in our neurology a latent capacity in our neurology to know source consciousness, to know ourselves as connected with source, to know ourselves as connected, to know ourselves as divine. And of course, in that knowing, in that realization, we know ourselves as, uh, as, as one with all expressions of consciousness, including plant consciousness, including the, the one consciousness we could say of, of, of Mother Earth. And I think in the, in the global picture of where we are, right now the the beauty of that enlightening of our neurology the 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 way that the environment is uh, creating a greater awareness of it as being part of us through a, a rewiring of our neurology is is immeasurably exciting and you, you referenced that the western view has been to language uh, entheogens or psychedelics as drugs this rather unfortunate or perhaps intentional putting into the same category as methamphetamine or alcohol or, or caffeine, these entheogens of a quite different order. And yet there's a shift there. And I know that the, the Renaissance and the rebirth, psychedelic Renaissance is, is an area of your focus, passion and expertise. Can you say a little bit more about what you alluded to there with some of the PTSD studies, some of the shift where the medicines are now actually being recognized and scientifically researched? 
as medicines. Yeah. So it's very interesting because, you know, we, we had, I guess, the first great flowering of psychedelic consciousness. And psychedelic, you know, comes from the Greek, it means from psyche, um, you know, to reveal the mind. And that's why in the 80s, to get over the stigma of the backlash against psychedelics in the 60s and 70s, they rebranded um, these substances, entheogens, specifically more utilized these days as more plant medicines, maybe than lab-based um, chemicals. Um, but, you know, even in that, there's a great distinction, I think, between the intention and the understanding of it's all great to open the mind, but the mind isn't all we are, you know, and this is what the great benefit of um, these tools can be to, to uh, help us understand our full operating system. And to clarify this use, because mind is quite a, a nebulous term very often, I hear you utilizing it to speak of the mental body. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, that, that's essentially in the West, it seems like there's a very strong cultural drive towards intellectualization and towards very um, sort of more low hanging fruit of consciousness, you know, towards this drive of things that can be um, pronounced and data. And we're seeing this in our um, you know, reflection of our culture with the computerization of things, which is amazing um, and all of that. But it's, it's not really heart based and it's also not uh, the full gamut of our full potential, even within other aspects of the mind, you know, the full, uh, if you go back to some of the thing, um, I've been really getting into uh, the Rig Veda and Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and some of the more um, Eastern, um, I was going to say mysticism, but they're not mysticism. They're actually maps of consciousness. They're tangible scientific documents, which are provable you know, that you can attain these states Through of personal mind. personal experimentation and practice. Through personal experimentation, yeah. And they really differentiate between, for instance, you know, the thoughts, which are what they call the vritti, or it's almost like wind on water. It's like busy, busy mind, the endless, ceaseless thoughts, which are just rippling and rippling on the surface of the water of the mind, but it's just the surface of the water of the mind. And if you go deeper into that ocean of mind itself, you can reach Atman or your true nature, you know, there's different levels. And that's why, you know, there's been over uh, recent decades, there's been such an influx of uh, Eastern modalities of meditation and yoga and uh, mindfulness and things like that, because they're all helping us tune back into this deficit we have in the West, which is so focused on um, intellectual mind. And that's part, I think, of what we we're talking about at the start of the PTSD and the problem and the, um, the separation anxiety we have from the planet. So I'll talk a little bit about your, your question, the PTSD. So there's been this medicalization uh, model of um, bringing these substances back into the fold in the last decade or two, largely spearheaded by a wonderful organization in the States here called MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. They've been working since 86 to help um, connect uh, doctors and scientists and work with the FDA here in America to look at the potential of these substances of psychedelics as medicines. There were a lot of tests done in the 60s. There was like over 4,000 studies done with LSD alone, looking at how it can help uh, cure alcoholism and recidivism and other habitual thought patterns. Um, but, you know, the political dogma and what all eventuated, all those things were thrown out the window. Um, so in the last decade or so, also with advances in science and as we described with uh, MRI and EEG, 
there had been legal studies done with LSD, with psilocybin mushrooms, uh, with ayahuasca, and uh, there's been some studies done with 5-MeO-DMT, and we can unpack what all the, these substances are in a bit um, and the difference between them. Uh, they've worked on those with rats, at least, if not human subjects. And, uh, you know, they're finding across the board that the psychoactive materials, when they switch off the default mode network, they switch off... The default mode network is this sense of partially this sense of ego and identity. It's what all these clustering regions which help aggregate into this baseline reality and this construct, this sense of I, this sense of I. And you can only have a sense of I if you are separate from that. You know, it's like it becomes the other. Like we know newborn children, for instance, don't differentiate. They don't differentiate even between the mother and them. It's just this... Um, cohesive undifferentiated emotional connection which is you know in supply and demand it's like there's no separation and even in some of these um expanded awareness states of things like ayahuasca people report uh this sense of reconnecting to this sense of the web of life or reconnecting to this expanded sense of consciousness i've been in the jungle many times over the the years over the decade or more and not in a visionary sense with the, the ayahuasca brew. Um, and ayahuasca is a plant medicine that's native to South America. It contains Banisteriopsis carpi, a vine, and admixture leaves in Chacruna and other um, admixtures, some of which contain DMT, dimethyltryptamine, um, which is a very powerful neurotransmitter that's also produced in the human organism. Um, but as well as a visionary component to these journeys, the number one thing I, I've felt from ayahuasca, for instance, is this open-hearted reconnection, like part of my whole um, organism is blossoming and ripening and connecting and feeling. And there's such an intimate connection between the mind, the heart, and the gut as well, the, the three brains, right? And so many of these things, when the default mode network is lowered, it enables us not just to use that expanded capacity with what we think of as a, a head mind or a brain mind, but also for the heart, which has 70% neuronal cells and is feeling all the time, and also the gut, which has 70 billion microbacteria in, in um, a, a biome in the stomach, which go in and out of gamma consciousness, which is a unity state of consciousness consciousness, a cohesion, which I believe is connecting us to the web of life and connecting us to that frequency, which is always being broadcast. These other older networks, they come back online, or they're always online, but they're heard and felt when this thing we think of as the mind in the West is reduced. So the scientific studies uh, are doing amazing work. There's so much um, scientific uh, advancement that's happening with these studies and bringing them in as legal medicines in the West, in America, and in the UK, their studies uh, with the Beckley Foundation and Imperial College as well. And uh, it seems that um, there's a unification between the old world and the new and uh, the, the 60s or 70s studies done with these substances and the potentials probably because we're, we're ready for it now. What happened in the 60s happened, and it, it, I believe everything is perfect, but there was a huge cultural backlash and the scientific um, uh, proof and, and, and studies got overlooked. But in an age of um, distributed consciousness, 
of uh, social media feeds, of like cloud computing, AI, AR, VR, blockchain, where it's all about networks. It's all about distributed networks, which are very getting very close to the biomimicry of nature in her networks. Uh, I think we're ready for uh, a psychedelic entheogenic uh, connection and presence in our lives. It's, it's, it's not a big leap from the digital telepathy of social media networks and 5,000 people in your feed at one time to being connected to more and more people and more and more um, of the planet all at once. And I saw some study they did. They said that, you know, people are so addicted to their phones and the screens and looking at them, but not necessarily just for that dopamine hit of the screen. It's because they're hungry for connection. What mm -hmm. they're doing on the screens is they're connecting to all those people all the time. And maybe it's just cat videos for now, but the potential is it's like a training ground for a global hive mind for a, a next level of consciousness, which I think think is coming and I think is part of this um, mediation and this training by the plants and the entheogens to first heal us of our PTSD and our traumas to reveal the capacity we have innately and endogenously within us to connect to the web of life and to remember who and what we really are. Aho and amen and hallelujah. It's a beautiful image or perception to allow into our consciousness that there is this uh, divine intelligence, we could say, or this plant intelligence, this planetary intelligence, this cosmic intelligence, which is facilitating this whole unfolding from the false start of the 60s, as it were, or the interrupted awakening, which you could view from one perspective. But I like how you place it there as just one continuum, how we won't quite ready then but now there is a readiness and i love also that imaging of the technology mirroring the shifts in consciousness our, our google being our source consciousness that we can go to and ask for truth and have it presented or at least a version of truth instantaneously in any moment what do you see as being the next phase if i can invite you to step into your most visionary uh, imaginative state so if we look at the 60s the 50s and the 60s that's sort of beginning of the research that beginning of the the re-emergence in western culture or something you've acknowledged and being clear on is was very much alive and well in many indigenous cultures around the planet and we're now moving into a phase where wonderfully the fda and 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 that the mainstream is recognizing the value and the therapeutic efficacy of many of these medicines. Whilst you and I and many others are personally benefiting from the upgrades to our consciousness, to our neurology, do you have a sense of where this might be going? Do you have a sense of what the underlying movement of this is and how it will look culturally, sociologically, even politically in coming times? You've asked the right person, Will. Funnily enough, I do. <laughs> and you know, this is, this is something I've been engaging with. And, and it's not that you do plant medicines and this just comes to you. It, it is, as we say, on the spiritual path, it's the great work. And the great work is the more that you sensitize, the more that you actually develop your intuition and that there's a capacity for knowing and it's a knowing which isn't an intellectual knowing. It's like a knowing of the soul. It's what we call the intuition. But what is the intuition? And again, I've been reading the Upanishads and it's all listed there, these translations I've been reading. So 
to answer your question, I'm going to step back a bit because it's a big one and you need to understand the big picture because the big picture then conjugates a few cycles forward and then you can see where it's going to go. So we we're talking about PTSD and the role of plant medicines and things like that and the medicalization of these substances, which is all good and well, but there is a larger context to it. So we only have on record, 10 to 12,000 years of recorded his story, as Terence McKenna used to say, history, right, which is written by the victors. We have, you know, anthropological and archaeological ruins, and we have all these great mysteries of Egypt and uh, Mesopotamia and all these other civilizations, which seem to point that there are older civilizations out there. Um, but also, in the thing, there's many references in the Judeo-Christianic religions and other, other indigenous um, cultures of this understanding that not only was there perhaps a great deluge or a flood that happened uh, 10,000 or more years ago uh, as a physical event, there was this feeling that there was a, a fall from consciousness. There was a shift in consciousness. Now, many indigenous cultures who live on the land and have, have unbroken lineages on that, that land, understand cyclic time. They understand the idea of world ages. That, you know, one of the, the great um, tribal proponents of this was the Maya. And we, we went through a, a Western uh, almost um, a commodification of the Maya's uh, deep spiritual truths and their, their stargazing and their, their map making back in 2012 or in the Western Gregorian calendar 2012. In the Mayan understanding, that was 0 .0 0 0.0.0.0 or like 12 o'clock on a clock of a 26,000 year orbit within which there were quadrants um, of world ages. In the Indian traditions, they say there's like the Kali Yuga age or there's the, the Iron Age, the Bronze Age, the Silver Age, the Golden Age, but there's transitions just as there's like, you know, um, spring and summer and uh, uh, fall and, and winter, there are seasons on larger orbits within which uh, there are rises and falls. There's, and this is, again, like the web of life. Even the web of life in the planetary biome of, of Mother Earth is intimately, so intimately, and I, I really encourage people to look into modern astrophysics. It is completely psychedelic what they are proving in the relationships between heavenly bodies all the way out from uh, our solar system to our galaxy and our galaxy to, you know, where it connects to uh, the center of our galaxy, which is what the Mayans used to call Hunab Ku or the womb of the great mother. And they believe that was the source of, uh, of where we come from, the source of consciousness itself, and they would worship it as the mother. Some of the, um, the developments in astrophysics now point to black hole theories and the fact that around the event horizon of a black hole, as it sucks in all energy and matter, it, um, it speeds up these and it, it, um, it ejects essentially these galaxy-wide jets of ionized plasma. And the ionized plasma jets, which are spun off from the event horizon of the black hole, uh, basically interact with space dust and component materials and are potentially, they're thinking, the, the birth of how stars are formed. Like the, the web of life and the great mystery that we're describing does not end at our, uh, our biosphere or our atmosphere. We know our atmosphere continues up into the ionosphere, the lithosphere, all these layers which protect us from certain UV radiations. It's, it's a miracle and it continues on in these interconnected webs of relationships throughout the universe. It's incredible, right? So 
in the indigenous cultures, many cultures across the planet, they understood this idea of world ages. And within that world ages, potentially, as the Maya say, there's these cycles of consciousness, there's these rises and falls. So at the moment, where since 0 0.0.0.0.0 or 2012, astronomically, we are, we've crossed the elliptic of the galaxy, the middle point of the galaxy with our solar system, and we're now pointed more um, over that, that median line towards deep galactic center where they believed Hunabku, the womb of the great mother, which birthed stars into being, which NASA confirmed in 2002 is a black hole and, and we know what black holes do. Um, they've confirmed that uh, that's where we're pointed and that, you know, there's cycles of consciousness. So here's what came to me in an in intuitive download uh, in, on, on San Pedro Cactus uh, one, one time in Costa Rica in a beach watching these little hermit crabs scuttle across the sand in a very connected space to source consciousness, these impressions and intuitions just come fully formed to me, like these downloads. And it's just my story, but it's a story I'm piecing together and it seems to resonate for me. And I looked at this little hermit crab with its armoring, with its, um, its ability to, you know, to feel separate. And I felt us as a species and I felt into this idea of world ages and this idea of cyclic time and these very old stories that we used to have a different type of consciousness. Now, Australian Aborigines say this too. They have 80,000 years or more on Australia of unbroken lineage on the land. And they say, essentially, people I know that have been initiated into some of the more inner workings and knowledge of, of uh, different mobs, they say the dream time is coming back. And that's essentially what I think the Maya would say in their cyclic return of time and many indigenous cultures who understand the rise and fall, not just astronomically of where we're centered in uh, the, the galaxy, but how consciousness rises and falls. My shorthand for this is like, at one point in prehistory, we had essentially four or five bar galactic godhead consciousness, right? And then all of a sudden, one day, it just severed, it broke. And if you've, ever, if you've ever had a unity state non-dual experience, whether that's mediated through uh, earth medicines or just endogenously through breath work, through your own spiritual development, because it's all within anyway, these substances are just switching off default mode network to reveal what you have within you. Uh, if you've ever really connected to deep unity states of consciousness, essentially they're not something the mind can hold. It's something beyond the intellectual mind. And when the mind lowers, as we described before, the heart and the stomach, the hara and the stomach biota connect to this incredible, basically orgasmic sense of divine unity consciousness that lies within these, these samadhi states as the Vedic maps call them. And if we had the potential in prehistory to connect to whatever degree to these elevated states of being, because we are endogenously designed to connect to these states, we are, I believe, spiritual beings in physical form. And that in prehistory, as we described before, we have an innate capacity to connect to the broadcast signal of source consciousness, but it's been degraded over his story. Um, both through the shift in world ages and our polluting of our energetic fields. If we had a more innate natural connection to this source consciousness and then one day it's gone, it's like your beloved, it's like your lover, the, the heartache, the despair, the, the disconnection, the, the severance of that connection, I believe cause species PTSD. And as a species, 
we moved then from a more um, organic and sustainable connection with the planet and of that trust from hunter-gatherer and a more, um, you know, uh, cooperative interaction with the planetary intelligence of being one of many species into fear, into fear and into that, what we described at the start, the distancing and the separation anxiety. And it seemed like all of recorded history is our story, his story of this cargo cult we call culture, which is in opposition to nature right, which has been its story of how it survives because it feels like it's an enemy and it feels like it's distanced and we have to take and we have to hoard and we have to kill each other and we have to scrabble and we have to fear because we no longer feel the love of source consciousness which animates and is us on this spiritual journey, which is abundant and cooperative. And that's how the planet does it. It's like you don't get bogged down in the play of forms. You don't identify and calcify so much with the being that's called rack or the, the ego vessel. You realize you're one strand in the web of life and your energy is a gift from that web of life and it will continue to radiate and percolate and feed the web of life. And all of our story is essentially the story of separation, of trauma, of species PTSD. And we're seeing indigenous cultures have held the flame, they've held the connection with the land, with the great mystery that is source consciousness underneath the planet. And now in the last hundred years or more, there's been sporadic um, encounters with altered states with, for, in the West and it's still in this reductionist lens. It's still in this lens of scientific inquiry, of, of shamanic inquiry, of this understanding as it comes back into the medical fold that, oh, we can use these things to work on PTSD. Yeah, they work incredibly effectively because as we described at the start, they lower the, the, the mind, the default mode network. And when you lower the mind, whatever's stored in your energetic body, the stresses, the traumas, the PTSD on the individual level, it has an opportunity finally to be released from your energetic field with a good facilitator and holding good space in the right set and setting. And so it's, it's enormously effective for traumas, but we're still in the medical fold seeing it from this reductionist lens. This is a grand spiritual initiation into our true birthright into our full potential and yes it has wonderful medical effects and that is going to go forward into the future maps is hoping that the use of um, a man-made substance called mdma um, in its pure form will be made a legal medicine by 2021 as part of uh, uh, mdma therapy with trained therapists in clinics across america and the world there's studies in the uk and israel as well in canada as well that's probably going to go ahead on the back of um, the legalization of medical cannabis and the recreational um, use of cannabis there's a lot of pathways opening psilocybin is being looked at very um, uh, uh, sternly now or very focusedly as the next medicine to come through into this medicalization model. But behind all of that, the entire cultural platform that we inhabit globally as it disintegrates in front of our eyes, this generation and proves itself unsustainable and uncooperative and, and all the horrors that we are inflicting upon ourselves in the world. Uh, that, that is part of a larger, I believe species awakening, which is what the planet is 
is wooing us back into this relationship mediated through uh, plant and earth medicines, which we've discussed a few of them. And, you know, ultimately as well, we know that things like ayahuasca and psilocybin, uh, it's beyond just the medicalization model. So there's been this grand shamanic resurgence, I call it in the West, for the last one or two or more generations, growing from a trickle to a flood. There's many, many ayahuasca lodges all through South America now and um, containers for the influx of seekers going down in search of healing, in search of reconnection. In the West, there's uh, shamanic, uh, essentially religions or spiritualities or people with their first-hand gnosis who are um, seizing back the, the means of um, connection and relationship in right set and setting with these substances to um, unveil their full potential and their own spirituality. And what I'm seeing in the big picture is beyond any cultural commodification of these medicines, I'm seeing the medicines as extensions of the planetary intelligence connecting with us to heal that species PTSD we have as a collective. And then to, join, to, to invite us back to the garden, to the web of life and to the great plan that is unfolding in this juncture of those world ages, in this, it seems to be flowering of consciousness. And what we're seeing on the planet en masse is this spiritual emergency, which is the, the, the grand um, culmination of 10 or 12,000 years of, uh, you know, misaligned human endeavor led by the ego, which was struggling to survive and trying to conquer the planet in its, its hubris. And now we're being led to realize that there are, is a larger intelligence at work through the planet, which is what's really guiding us. And so what I really see happening is this, um, this flowering of consciousness, which is part of our, our potential and our birthright happening right on time and this emergence from the emergency that we're seeing on a global scale. And it's not about taking these substances over and over. It's not like the sixties people who still think this is like something that you take and it does the work for you are thinking of like LSD or a pill or something like that. It's, it's, it's the, the Western mind frame, which is the denuded and filtered one that is forgotten. These substances are a relationship, and especially when we come round to talking about things like 5-MeO-DMT, which is present in our brains, uh, the tryptamines are produced in the cerebrospinal fluid, the lungs in our consciousness itself. It feels like 5-MeO and NN-DMT, which is the visionary component in the ayahuasca brews, it feels like the plants are saying it's they're healing us so we can reveal our full potential, and then it's like you are the medicine humans you can do this too you were designed to connect to this source intelligence and this is just a stepping stone of a stage we're going through of remembrance so the full potential is basically what i have seen in the vedic maps of how do we anchor and make room in the holy vessels of our beings for source consciousness which is within all of us as they say we have all have buddha nature within us but it's a process it's a process of cleansing and sensitizing as they learned with plant medicines in south america so we can hear the call of the great mystery and we can awaken to that potential within us and then it gets really interesting <laughs> doesn't it just i love that weaving of the individual awakening it was a joy just to sit and, and and receive the beauty of the vision and the integration of that individual awakening 
as the new paradigm. And you've taken us on a lovely journey through the physiology of that, the psychology of that, the sociology, the, the philosophy and beyond. And it seems to speak to a really essential piece, which is the physiological the psychological and the spiritual arising of a deep trust in the natural intelligence, in the cosmic intelligence, in God, some might say, but not as uh, an external father figure, not as a wrathful, judgmental, uh, separate from the human being, not as an Islamic God, not as a Christian God, not as a God of any particular flavor, but rather the divine essence of all things. And I'm just really enjoying and absorbing the narrative that you took us on there. And I've experienced something in the conversation that as questions were arising in my thoughts, your next speeches and sentences answered those very questions. As you said, spiritual emergency, I thought to point to the uh, meaning of emergence in that and to hear that then flow from you. It's been a real delight just to be present to your divine consciousness and all that you have absorbed and sensitized and listened to and intuited uh, coming out in such a beautiful flowering yourself. And this actually evokes for me a similar um, experience I had when I heard you speak at the symposium in Mexico. It was just a real enjoyment of the beautiful expression and to see that as your life's journey as you're unfolding as an individual which is uh, a, a wonderful uh, celebration you know uh, this notion we have at love and truth party of the new earth ninja um, a playful avatar clearly you and all of our guests and all of our community are new earth ninjas we are here to embody and to celebrate our divine consciousness our connection with source, our connection with this, this divine intelligence. You know, it's true. And it, it's interesting because it starts to veer into mysticism. And I started off as what I used to call an experiential journalist. And it was like a gonzo journalist reporting on consciousness, technology, spirituality, plant medicines, things like that. And then, you know, I was getting into the medical psychedelics and all of that frequency. And then I was getting into shamanism and it, it, it's all a stepping stone, you know, it's all different um, iterations of this spiritual journey. And it starts to get on to the spiritual path. And when you can, you can talk about these, potentials and these medicines for healing PTSD, for healing even physical ailments and cancers and things like that. And that's part of, for instance, ayahuasca's dieta and cleansing out and sugars and salt and bringing us back to our um, original set and settings. Um, but I still feel that even within these cultures, like the psychedelic cultures, we're still approaching the understanding of the plant entheogens and the sacraments and the, the space of, as you say, source consciousness within as um as a psychedelic and it feels to me that these entheogens which awaken the divine within as we lower the ego and it, it, it's like we we have to trust and so you know i've been working with the buffo various medicine which we've mentioned a few times and we uh, helped co-host the world buffo various congress in mexico this past july it's a medicine which perhaps has a Mesoamerican uh, lineage, but it doesn't have any modern lineage, but it is being rediscovered essentially as you know, it's uh, in the, the glands of the buffalo various toad uh, who are hopefully sustainably and ethically uh, squeezed and the medicine is smoked and it goes 
it goes straight through the blood-brain barrier, and it's essentially what we know as 5-MeO-DMT. And as I said before, this medicine uh, is absorbed through the blood-brain barrier because it's endogenous to us. The brain knows what to do with it. There's been hypotheses from Rick Strassman, who studied NNDMT, which is a cousin of 5-MeO, in the, in the 90s, looking at its potential role uh, in birth, death, and near-death experiences and mystical states as being the catalyst for when we go into these states of being. And essentially, the 5-MeO-DMT, by many people in the community who have taken it in countries like Mexico, where it is legal, um, report that there is this feeling of unification, this feeling which is not an intellectual thinking. It's We know on a neurological level with the neuroscience that 5-MeO-DMT lowers the frontal lobes of the brain, the parietal lobe it lowers the inhibitions and that sense of mind and switches off potentially the default mode network um, and when the mind or what we think of as the mind in the vedic traditions the vritti the busyness this the, the intellectual thoughts is lowered which is you know one of the the skill sets and the the outcomes of a, a meditation practice which does it this just does it very quickly and very powerfully these other capacities are revealed within us. And these capacities have a direct relationship with us because it's not something we're taking, it's something we're revealing that everyone has within them, as I said before. And this is a deepening of the path and of the potential of this endogenous revelation of source consciousness. And as you so artfully danced around, there's many labels for this, source consciousness, the force, the the unified field, samadhi, God, whatever we want to say. But as soon as you say that G word or you start to get into these, into these um, arenas, a lot of people have knee-jerk reactions, even in the psychedelic and even in the shamanic community. And so I'm not here to proselytize or to convince anyone. I'm merely sharing my story. But what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling and what I'm intuiting on my path is Basically, what a lot of these um, ancient cultures, like the, the Indian cultures, were saying, they're not metaphors. These are maps they have left us, for instance, of samadhi states, of unification with source within states. These are modalities and potentials we have within us. And I see the psychedelic um, explosion of the 60s as one iteration of the spiral, which is now returned in the, the noughts uh, with the shamanic resurgence. And even that is just the outer edge of where this is really going because the, the, the medicines, for instance, ayahuasca for a generation or more in the West now have become very, very popular and essentially forget the, forget the, the fractals and the tryptamine, um, you know, with light shows and all the, the visuals, the, the curanderos or the shamans of the, of the Amazon, they say that they're, they're essentially, you know, like the, the screen savers for while the medicine's doing deeper work on you. And it's all about, <laughs> It's all about your energy. It's about returning you to your feeling, your capacity to feel, because we've forgotten the full capacity. It's not just I can feel. It's like we we're saying with intuition. You connect in an energetic way with a knowing with your environment within and without, and there's a relationship which is growing, which you know beyond words, beyond the intellectual capacity. And in that connection of that spirituality, the ayahuasca for a generation has been cleaning us. Essentially, that's what the shamanic medicines have been doing. You mentioned iboga before. It's one of the um, uh, a sacrament from Gabon in Africa, which the Bwiti tribe use in their ceremonies of initiation. Uh, ayahuasca in South America, I mentioned before, and we mentioned my documentary series, Shamans of the Global Village, which is looking at just that. 
It's looking at the plant medicines across the world, the caretakers or the medicine people that work with those medicines on behalf of their tribes. But what I see in that big picture is these medicines, when they're healing people, that's like the second step, right? And in the healing of people, then reveals our full capacity. And I feel in this season of consciousness and this emergency and emergence, it's time for more and more of us to step into our truth, our love and our power of who we are as spiritual beings. And it's not an egoic thing to say that because it's about lowering the ego, giving yourself over to trusting what is developing. And what I feel is developing is a relationship with source consciousness within. In the the, the maps I've seen from the Upanishads, they, they list like the way that essentially like a, a full release on 5-MeO-DMT, what I believe happens is what I call a galactivation. And it's like when a, a forest fire goes through, um, you know, the bush it, it it burns off all the old but some seeds need that in, intense heat to germinate in a spiritual sense when people have um, a 5-MeO experience whether naturally having a, a experience of the divine through breath work through spontaneous grace uh, or through mediated through something like the toad medicine um, people feel there's this incredible reconnection with source consciousness within the, we know from science, there's also an endocrine flush in the body and it flushes out potentially tumors and blockages. And it's like God's factory reset. But again, what that's doing is it's resetting us to the original settings we have, like when we're newborn babes, when we are connected to that source where Rudolf Steiner, you know, who formed uh, anthroposophy, you know, says the first seven years, the baby and the soul is still coming down. It's connected to that source consciousness as we grow and are encultured you know we we become almost like the pearl in the uh in the um in the oyster we become wrapped around with these cultural trappings and these energetic filters which are stopping us and as the the, the beautiful poet rumi said you know the persian poet Ours is not to seek love. Ours is to, to uh, seek out all those things which are separating us or blocks or barriers between us and love. And so that's what I see the end or the next step result of these medicines and these shamanic modalities, especially with 5-MeO, because it is endogenous to us. And it's almost as if ayahuasca and the other plants are saying, look, you can do this too. You can connect back to the mystery in the web of life and you can be the mystery. You can't know it with the mind. You can't solve it, but you can be it. And that, I think, is what the next step is after this potential great awakening uh, phase we're going through when we remember what that really means and we come together. I have this beautiful little phrase I call Samadhi Mesh Networks. It feels like the more of us that switch on through whatever pathway but can maintain that relationship with source within, like the mystery schools used to teach of old, the more we remain on, on like maybe two bar signal or three bar signal of source consciousness, then the stronger that signal gets and it broadcasts through the species. And then it's like source consciousness has um, a, a mesh network to get stronger in, to use computer terms. And I feel that that's the potential is not to have anything external, but to, to be together as one and to be units of that one in that, that grand togetherness and that, that, um, that beautiful day, which I hope will come in a perfect world. Thank you, Rat Razam, for an exquisite waxing lyrical. I've deeply appreciated your enthusiasm, wisdom, 
insight, wonderful combining of prose and poetry and science and intuition and spirituality and personal awakening and indeed the new paradigm. I feel that this episode of The Truth Lover has certainly been a contribution to that raising the bars, raising the coverage, raising the network coverage of source consciousness across our, across our species. I want to thank you for sharing your time with us, sharing your, your wisdom. I want to ensure people are aware of rakrazam.com, R-A-K-R-A-Z-A-M.com, to find out more about your books, your films, upcoming projects, symposiums, retreats in Peru. Um, yeah, it's been a real joy. Rack, thank you for your journey and thank you for giving your time to the truth lover today. Thank you, Will. Yeah, in, in God we trust and in, in, in love and truth we, we reside. Thank you so much for all you do as well. My great joy and pleasure. Thank you, brother. And thank you to our listeners and to our viewers today. Um, as I say, rackrazam.com is the way to connect with Rack. You can connect with us at loveandtruthparty.org, loveandtruthparty.org to join our community, to celebrate uh, and indeed download or order love letters, become a new earth ninja, play the game with us, register for our newsletter, connect on social media, and even consider a financial gift to support our work in the world at loveandtruthparty.org. O-R-G. Thank you to all our supporters and contributors to the One Consciousness. Together we are creating kind, conscious, courageous human community.